0: Our text this morning is actually going to be in the fourth chapter of Paul's letter to the Philippians. Thanksgiving has gone and and passed now, and beginning next week we begin our Advent season. That that season of Advent, meaning coming, the, the preparation and preparing of our hearts, which we do each year. In preparing our hearts and and, in dwelling upon the glorious realities of the incarnation, the coming of Christ for sinners. That great celebration that we are going to be looking at and, and talking about the glorious realities and the revelation of Advent and how through Christ our hope, our peace, our joy, and our love may be full. So we'll be in a a season out of our exposition of Luke for a a short time, Uh, but I'm sure they'll they'll be getting back to that after the new year. But for now, we take a short break away, and I wanted to have a text that really bridged Advent and Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, that day we celebrate the glorious provision of God, the immense provision of God. And I love that Thanksgiving... Really, nearly, like, I mean, it precedes Advent very closely. And the reason why is because, as Thanksgiving, we celebrate God's provision, and Advent, we celebrate His greatest provision, in the Son, Jesus Christ. And so really, I wanted to take a a time today to focus on the precious promise of God's unfailing provision. Something that we cannot set our hearts on enough, I believe. So Philippians will be in the fourth chapter. This is my favorite book of the Bible. And I have all of them. I have 66 favorite books of the Bible. But this has a slight tinge uh, to the, the, the lead, I would say. I just I love this book. It was the first book I ever preached here at Hillside. And I love it. Uh, my life first comes out of Philippians to live as Christ. And to die is gain. And and there's so much about this book that means the world to me and really lays out the essence for the all-supreme, all-satisfying joy that comes with knowing Jesus as Lord. Philippians chapter 4. If you'd stand with me for the reading of the Word this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 20. Really this closing... um, letter of appreciation, really this, this closing thank you note from the Apostle Paul. He writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia... fragrant offering a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father be glory and forever amen this is the word of the Lord you may be seated This little epistle is power packed with one constant permeating theme throughout its words. And that is the all satisfying, unshakable joy that is found in Jesus. And one of the things that really blows my mind about that, that did the first time that I read that, was the circumstances that Paul finds himself when he writes this letter. Paul is writing from, a, from house arrest there in Rome. It's one of his later epistles there. Uh, he would be released from this one that we know of before ultimately being executed. But at this time, Paul does not know this. As far as, far as Paul knows, this is it's, it's drawing near. It's just any day now, Nero is going to send up the call that will have the apostle beheaded. And so he's writing these letters from the prison cell there. Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, Philemon. These prison epistles. And what's incredible is in this moment of really, you would think terrifying circumstance, house arrest, unable to go, spending 24 hours a day chained to a Roman soldier, that this would be a great place for Paul to complain. For Paul to spend a letter talking about the hardships and sufferings that will come for following Jesus. That, that would seem to be fitting. It's going to be bad. It's going to be hard. Through many tribulations, you're going to enter the kingdom of God. Acts 14, 22. I could see that being one of those great letters. Be ready to count the cost for following Jesus. And yet in the midst of these circumstances, the apostles instead focuses on immense joy and unwavering gratitude. It's remarkable in every way He talks in this about what the essence of Christian joy is. And what is the essence of Christian joy? And that is to know Christ. Paul would say, to live is Christ. To die is gain. Why? Because you get Christ. I don't care if they're going to kill me. They're just sending me to Jesus. Who I love more than anything else who I count everything else as loss for the surpassing value of knowing Jesus. As long as I know Jesus, there's joy in me that cannot be shaken regardless of the circumstances I find myself in, especially if those circumstances arise because of my living for Jesus. Near the end of the letter here, Paul writes kind of a closing pastoral thank you note. Now what's amazing is the letter begins and it closes with a thank you note to the church at Philippi. It opens with a thank you note. It closes with a thank you note. And it is because in the midst of all of the things Paul has endured, there has been one particular church that has been there for him throughout it all. Has provided financial support for him has sent one of their elders, Epaphroditus, to go to Paul in order to give him a love offering, to give him a gift, to give him pastoral care in his house arrest. And Epaphroditus literally nearly died, we find out in Philippians 2, going to help and care for Paul. So this church has been there since day one for Paul and the ministry of the gospel. And he can't thank them enough. But the reason why he's so moved to worship in this this amount of thanksgiving is his recognition of what is happening at Philippi, that the heart that they have reflected is nothing more than the realities of what Christ is doing in them. That he realizes that all the provision they've provided are nothing more than the extensions of God's amazing provision. That every ounce of care that they've shown him is nothing more than that constant Testimony that Christ is at work in you. And this final thank you though, this final thank you note, Paul bookends his thanksgiving with two very important teachings regarding the all-sufficiency of Christ and the perfect provision of God. Promised in Christ. So, he bookends it. First part, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? That's the all-sufficiency of Christ, no matter what we face. And at the end, my God will supply all of your needs according to the riches of Christ Jesus. The perfect provision of God to help us through whatever may come our way. The all-sufficiency of Christ and the perfect provision of God in Him. This is how he bookends That thanksgiving. We've got to ask the question, why? Why not just say thank you for everything you've done? God's going to take care of you, love you, and that's it. Why go into this about contentment? Why go into this unwavering picture of God's perfect promise to provide for them? And the answer is this. The church at Philippi is scared to death of what will happen if Paul dies. If he dies, is, is, it, is it over? If he dies, is the mission done? If he dies, is, is the church going to fall apart? Who's going to write to us? Who's going to lead us? Who's going to help us? If, if, if he dies, he's gone. Will things still be okay. And what the Apostle Paul wants to write to them in this closing thank you note. Is that the fear of the future we don't know can only be remedied by the unwavering faithfulness of the God we do know? The fear of the future we don't know can only be unremedied by trusting in the provision of the God we do know. And that's his call to them. Whatever happens to me, God will provide. In Christ. He is sufficient. And He will supply your every need. So I want to go through this and just break this up and kind of explain it moving through. And and a little bit of application points for us today. In verses 10 through 13. Paul lays out the secret to contentment. The secret to contentment. Here is your your book of the day. The secret to contentment. And the answer is this. The secret to contentment is the all-sufficiency of Christ. Christ is sufficient for me. There's your million-dollar answer. What is the secret to contentment? Christ is all-sufficient for me. He is more than enough me. Look what he says here in verse 10 through 13. Rejoice greatly in the Lord that now at length he revived your concern for me. So he's bringing this up. He's already brought this up in chapter one and chapter two. Now he's bringing it up again. You've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So they, were all, they weren't able to get anything to him until Epaphroditus came. And Paul being, is being very pastoral here. He doesn't want them to feel guilty. He doesn't want them to, to, to think that like, they weren't caring for him when they weren't able to get there fast enough. He knows their heart. He knows of their love for him. Being very pastoral here. But then he does something interesting. Not that I am speaking of being in need. For I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. That final verse, probably the most oft-quoted verse you'll ever hear. Oftentimes quoted out of context. Because the passage is not about you know, I can go and be fearless the rest of my life and just take on the world and go get that five, you know, Fortune 500 CEO position and we're going to win the basketball game because I wrote Philippians 4.13 on my eye black. Like that's not the context. The context is contentment. It's contentment. And what Paul is wanting to make very clear is that though he is grateful for their gift, He wants to make this clear. I am grateful for your gift. I am thankful. I rejoice because of your care for me. My contentment isn't based upon any gift. My contentment isn't based upon because I'm feeling a little bit happier now that you guys showed up. He's wanting to make clear my contentment isn't tied to my circumstances. My contentment is tied to my Christ. Whether I have been hungry, I mean, we know from elsewhere Paul's been shipwrecked, he's been beaten, he's in jail now, he's in house arrest. Things have not been great. There's been moments where things are good. And he says in all of them, I have learned the secret to contentment, the secret to lasting contentment. What is it? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can endure all things, face all things, no matter what uncertainties, no matter what needs arise, no matter what difficulties come my way, whether I am high or low or anywhere in between, my sufficiency is Christ. He is sufficient. Because I have Christ, my needs have forever been remedied. Why? Because if I have Christ, I know my needs will be met. And so we need to start reorienting what we believe needs are. Because here's a guy on house arrest. There's probably some things he needs. But he says, I'm not in need. Why? Why? Because I know I have everything in Christ. I have everything that will establish my eternal state with the Lord forever. I have everything I need to be at peace with God. And I know that I am a child of a good Father in Heaven because of Christ who knows my needs better than I do and will ensure that I am given exactly what I need to accomplish His purpose for my life which might be dying here. He'll give me what I need to lay my head on the chopping block joyfully. If that's what His will may be. Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Christ is my strength. Christ is my sufficiency. My friends, what Paul is making very clear here is we do not exist To make much of ourselves, we exist to make much of Him. That's what you exist for. You exist to make much of Him. So we need to shift our vision of success from accomplishing our goals to accomplishing His will. And I want my goals to be aligned with His will, I want everything about me to be aligned with Him. I want to live with the all-sufficiency of Christ ever before Him. It is all about being content in Christ. It is all about knowing no matter what I face, I have Jesus and He is enough. My friend, is Christ enough? If He is not enough, then you do not know Christianity. This is not at all about prosperity. Notice it. Guy writing from house arrest. And he says, Jesus is all sufficient. We often use and have been taught Jesus as a passageway to better blessings. When realizing that Jesus is the greatest blessing. and He is the greatest treasure. He is the sum and substance of my strength and my contentment. For apart from Him, we can do nothing. He said, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul, Jesus says, I am the vine and the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing to all things. What a difference Christ makes. What a difference Christ makes. Jesus is everything. Christ is everything, and we find in Him the basis by which we can turn our eyes from possessions and focus on His purpose. I love what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 through 11. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. For the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish. That's a real dirty word there in the Greek. But it's not good, it's garbage, scum, feces. I count it as that. For the surpassing value of knowing Jesus. In order that what? I may gain Christ and be found in Him. He continues. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. And may share His sufferings. And becoming like Him in His death. That by any means possible. I may obtain the resurrection of the dead. So what Paul is saying in all of this is that full contentment in Christ is found in a desire to know him more and to be with him forever. To know him more and to be with him forever. And my friends, I want you to know that today, no matter what you find yourself in, no matter what fears may come your way, no matter what anxiety set before you, no matter what hurdles are before you, no matter what situations might arise for the Church of Christ in the future, Christ is sufficient. He is sufficient for you. He is more than worthy. And He will give you exactly what you need to endure the moment in faithfulness to Him. He will give you what you need. To live out faithfully for His purpose. So the secret to contentment is the all-sufficiency of Christ. Now, he doesn't, once again, Paul's very pastoral... This is a lot different from the Paul who wrote 1 Corinthians, which is kind of like, we're going to cut to the chase. And I'm going to get down to here. He's a very pastoral heart. that's developed and matured. And you can tell he doesn't want that to come off as, I, 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 I don't want you to think that I don't really care about what you did for me. I don't want to just make this a, a lesson on theology. So he then turns back to the church at Philippi and their gracious gift to him in verses 14 through 18. And what's amazing about the church of Philippi that Paul really lays out here is that Philippi, the church at Philippi, was a church that reflected the heart of God. Because they were gracious givers. They were gracious givers. Yeah, there was a little bit of infighting there between Euodia and Syntyche. Some strife. Nevertheless, nevertheless, their heart for giving was abundant. And in that, Paul seeks to give them great gratitude. Verse 14-18. It was kind of you to share my trouble, and yet you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. This is that precious moment of pastoral appreciation that the Apostle Paul has for the church at Philippi. This church that is revived, it's in care, shown once again from the very beginning, their love for the apostle, their love for the gospel, the desire to see the gospel flourish. They did so not only for providing for Paul, but they also did so by providing to the church at Jerusalem that was under famine at this time. So this is a generous church who gives with unbelievable relentlessness. I mean, even though we're told in in Corinthians that though they didn't have much, they still gave graciously, abundantly beyond what they were even able to do. Paul wants them to know how thankful and grateful and moved he is by them is one of the supreme ways that God answers prayers is through the actions of his people we are his hands and feet and we should reflect his heart in all that we do I love this part of this pastoral Thanksgiving Because it gives me an opportunity as I reflected on this and I read through this to think about my own life and my own heart. It's kind of you to share my trouble. You Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the Gospel and I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except only you. I think of what that was like that When I was feeling called to the gospel ministry. To think of the times when I was pushed away by others, not given the time of day by others for mentorship and for opportunities to serve. Little by little, God opened the door here at Hillside. And the thanksgiving that I have for you, for partnering with me. And allowing me to serve you, there is not enough words to express the gratitude that I have as your pastor. And because of that, partnering with me and, and, and having helped me and loved me and ministered to me, I will always have love for you. And I want you to know that oftentimes, right, we can think the things that we are doing go unseen. And the things that we do, we can become fearful for giving. We can hold on tight to the things that we do, whether it's giving our money or whether it's giving our heart to people. We can hold on so tight because we're so afraid of what might happen. We're so afraid of the future. Well, if I give too much, they might hurt me. Or if we give too much, we might go back into a bad place again as a church. Or if we, we, we give too much, they might abuse it or use it. We get so worried that fear cripples us from that gracious heart God calls us to have. But we need to be reminded that our giving Our care for others must directly flow out of an ever present knowledge of just how gracious my God is and how unwavering his provision is. You don't need to be afraid to give. Don't be afraid to surrender your heart. You don't need to be afraid of trying to to tightrope and nickel and dime everything because you're so afraid of what the future might be. We're not talking about bad stewardship here. We're talking about faithlessness. A faithlessness to act because of a fear of something that's happened in the past. I love what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7-8. through Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. No one tells you what you should give. No one tells you. There is not a single percentage repeated in the New Testament. So don't you dare use a civil law established to a theocratic nation as a baseline for who is giving good and who isn't. Not under compulsion. It's got to flow out of this. Out of a changed heart. That gives everything. The fullness living. Sacrifices. All that I am. My time, my talent, and my treasure. Belongs to Him. And I'll give it as I feel led. By conscience sake. As the Spirit guides and leads. According to the word of God. But we apply these secondary standards and because of that it produces fear and it pushes us away from others and it creates estrangement within the church because it allows us to prioritize who's doing good and who isn't. And we're no different than the Pharisees when we do that. But notice what he says, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Praise God. Notice he praised, not the woman, Who gave 10%. The woman who gave all she had. The two pennies. Far more than anybody else. He didn't ask for a tax statement. And make sure that she was lined up with it. Because he knew her heart. And the one thing that we don't like my friends. As human beings. Is we don't like that we can't read people's heart. But God knows. And that's sufficient. For me is I know what God knows and I trust Him. God is able to make all grace abound to you. That's why you can be a cheerful giver. He'll make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work. You see what frees you to cheerful giving. It isn't a law. It isn't a standard. It is the knowledge of God's unfailing provision of sufficiency at all times that frees you to live a life of radical surrender and sacrifice to Christ. Because I know all grace will abound to me. So I'm going to live radical for it. It isn't a matter of people are going to abuse it. Of course people will abuse it. And there will be also people who will be immensely blessed by it. But all that matters to me is God's glorified in it. And this was the heart of the church of Philippi. A heart that said, we're just going to give. and We don't have a lot, we're going to give. We're going to give because the gospel matters. We're going to give because we believe with all of our heart that God is doing an amazing thing. With the gospel. Through the gospel. We are a part of it. We are a reflection of it. A church begun. With a rich seamstress. A Philippian jailer. And a slave girl. Why? Because Jesus. and He will provide us. We're going to give. We didn't start with anything to begin with. We'll give all that we have. Because we have everything in Christ. They reflected what true giving looks like. Not compelled, not driven, not you have to do this in order to be somebody, to serve in this capacity to do that. But because you are so satisfied in Jesus, you can't help but to live radically surrendered for Him and for His mission and purpose in the world. You can do this because of the promise of God's unfailing provision, which is right what he says in verses 19 and 20. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts he sent, fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every needs of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory forever. Amen. I know it seemed like you lost a lot. I know Epaphroditus almost died. I know the fear of what might happen to me is extremely burdensome to you, Philippi. But my God will supply every one of your needs. He will meet exactly what you need. It's not about me. It's not about Epaphroditus Philippi. It's about the God you belong to. And He will supply according to His riches. Not yours. His riches. He who owns all things. Every molecule of the cosmos multiplied belong to Him. Everything in both the physical and spiritual realm belongs to Him. That's his riches. He has more than enough for you. And he will supply every need. Just how sweeping, though, is this statement? Once again, we need to go back and rethink again about what our needs are. Because for often, our needs is we want to be comfortable. I want to have a good 401k. I want to make sure my retirement's lined up long term. I, I want to make sure that all the things are, are put in order right. right? That's, what I'm be, that's my main focus. That's what I live for. Once again, let me be clear, it's not wrong to have those things. But it's darn sure wrong to live for them. It's not bad to have those things. They can be part of good stewardship. But it is darn sure wrong to live for them as an end in and of themselves. Because I want you you to hear just how sweeping this need is for the Lord. What it does and what it doesn't include. Romans chapter 8 verse 32 to 37 I think gives us the best. He, as God the Father, who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? In other words, if He gave you Jesus, what do you think He'll keep from you? What do you possibly think he will withhold from you if he gave you his spotless, perfect, eternal Son? But notice something. What does this look like? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Stop there. So, what does this provision look like? It's this. My God will give me every single thing I need to endure faithfully to the end where I will forever stand justified, acquitted in the courtrooms of heaven, sealed by His Spirit, and will forever live in the righteousness of God forever and all eternity, and He will give me everything I need in this life to ensure that comes to pass including day after day intercession, carrying me to the throne of God. That's what Christ does for you. He will give me everything I need to ensure that there will never be a thing that gets in the way of my peace with Him. That's His promise to you. And oh, my beloved friend, is that not sufficient enough to know that your eternity is cared for. And that in this life, He will give you everything you need. He will ensure that there is food enough to live. He will ensure that everything that you need is fine until His time for you to come home. It says otherwise. If you're still here today, it's because God still has purpose for you. And when He's done, I promise you, you won't be here. You won't be. Your days are numbered and He will call you home. Which is why Paul opens this whole letter with I'd rather go be home but clearly God still has me here for you. He will give you what you need to faithfully live out his purpose as he faithfully ensures your eternal security in him for all the ages. That is what you get. But what does it not look like? We'll look at the next set of verses here. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Once again, it's what you got. It's not going to be taken from you. Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. Well, that doesn't sound fun. As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things. Notice, not in the absence of these things. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. So let me tell you what it's not it's not a comfortable, cozy life. When He says He will supply your every need, it is not so that you can go your life without any tribulation, without any distress, without any persecution, without any suffering. No, my friends. Because it is often those things that precisely reveal to you just how all-sufficient Jesus is. By casting you off the comforts of the world, showing you their vanity... And giving you in the midst of that the supremacy of the all-sufficient peace of Jesus Christ as Lord. No matter what you face. So what is He supplying and providing? Everything you need to live faithfully for Him and enjoy His peace, His love, His, his righteousness, the knowledge of Him, His Spirit. You get to have all of that for all eternity and He will give you exactly what you need to faithfully live out His purpose for His glory. What, will he not, what does this not include? It doesn't mean a cushy, comfortable, cozy life. It's not what it is. The promise extends beyond material provision. It encompasses spiritual, emotional, and relational needs. God will provide everything we need. I love what Hudson Taylor, that great missionary, who himself went through many struggles. Years without a single convert for one. And he said this: quote, the Lord's work done in the Lord's way will never fail to have the Lord's provision. End quote. The Lord's work done in the Lord's way will never fail to have the Lord's provision. Oh, thank God for that. It will never lack if it is His work and in His will. That is a guarantee. Just like the two two fish and five loaves. When you live in radical surrendered service to the Lord... There's a reason there were twelve baskets left over for those apostles. When you live in radical, all surrendered life for the Lord, there will always be left over for you. There will always be left over for you, my dear friend. Jesus wants to make clear how much our God cares for us. Matthew chapter six, one of my favorite passages. Do not be anxious The things that we so often clamor after, fight over, destroy one over, another over, are things that eternally have no significance at all. But if you surrender your life to Christ, you go after Him, you seek to make much of Him with all that you are and all that you have, He promises you, your needs will be met. He will provide for you exactly what is sufficient to get you through the day for His glory. Psalm 23:1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Not want. What do you mean? Well, Blake, I want a lot of stuff. Probably do. I do too. But when I have Christ, I've got all I ever need. You've got all you ever need. And the only thing you want is to make Him known. You want Him to be magnified in you. You want Him to be magnified in your home, among your spouse and your children. And if there's anything getting in the way of it, it's got to go. Got to go. Because the Lord is all I want. He's all we want. So how do we learn to align our will with His wants? And the answer is we must learn to pray. Man, my friends, we must learn to pray. I think the reason why revival tarries and why things and fear seem to be so onset is because prayer lacks in the church of Christ. We do not get on our knees enough. And I believe what Leonard Ravenhill said. He said, If there is anything that the people of God will be ashamed for when they stand before the throne, it will only be because of how little they prayed to such a God. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 through 11. My friends, I want you to know God is glorified in answered prayer. However, He will never answer a prayer in the affirmative that takes the glory off of Him. And He loves you too much to give you what He knows will destroy you. My kids would be happy if I gave them ice cream for every meal. And I am wicked and know that that would be a bad thing to do. Because I love them enough to know what they need for their best health. And if I, being wicked, know that as their father, how much more does my heavenly father know when to say no and hear something much better? You see, he will never give you anything that will undermine the sufficiency of Christ in your life and undermine your contentment in him. If he thinks, if he knows in your heart that if you get that, you won't depend on Jesus more, he will give it to you. So often, we look to the things that we don't have and realize that in those things we don't have, there are blessings. That God has protected you from. Because it would cast you off of dependency on Him. And cause you to live totally on the sufficiency of self. Which will lead to the path of perdition. The reason why God often doesn't answer the way that we ask. Is because we ask with wicked desires. And James says this best. James chapter 4 verse 3. You ask... And you do not receive. Why? Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Notice here that saying it wrongly has nothing to do with how you say it. It's why you're saying it. God knows the intent and the motives of your heart. And He knows deep down those passions that are fueling you that you don't even know. And so often the reason you don't receive what you ask is because what you ask would deeply destroy you if God were to just give it to you freely. And instead, being a faithful father, he does. He doesn't answer back with emptiness. He answers back with what will be necessary in your life to cast you further on to him. And it may not look good in the moment. But as Spurgeon said this, I kiss every wave that crashes me onto the rock of ages. So the answer to your prayer may look like the broccoli you didn't want. But it's because it will precisely provide the health that you need to faithfully grow into the person He's created you to be. He will not give you anything that casts you off of contentment on Him. And so perhaps what we need to be praying is not, Lord, give me this or give me that. We need to pray, Lord, give me what I need according to Your will and help me trust and praise You more for all that You give me in Christ. Help me praise and trust You more For all that You give me in Christ. Lord, when I'm struggling. When I feel self-pity. When I feel angry and resentful. When I begin to covet. Let the single song of my heart be. Jesus is enough. He is enough for me. My friends. Paul wanted to address the church at Philippi's deepest fears. What will come if all this goes away? What will come if Paul dies? What will come to us if our leadership, if Epaphroditus, our elder, doesn't make it home? What will happen to all of this? And the answer that Paul wanted to give them is that God will give you everything you need in the riches of Christ to accomplish His will for your good. In His glory. He is faithful. And He is unwavering. In His provision. For His people. It is not tied to a person. It is not tied to a man. Here. Me. It's not tied to a leader. It is not tied to any of that. It is tied to Christ. And if Christ is the shepherd of your church. You shall not want. Rest. Rest in the sufficiency of Christ and the perfect promise of His unfailing provision. And know with certainty you will lack no good thing if you but trust Him. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him And He will make straight your paths. My friend, you need not fear. You need not fret. Because though we do not know what tomorrow will bring, we do know the One who brings tomorrow. And He is sufficient. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You so much for Your all-sufficiency. Jesus, you are enough. You are more than enough. Help us when we lack contentment. Help us when we grovel in our own pity and frustrations. Help us when resentment builds up in our hearts. Help us when the things of this world grab onto our attention. Help us when we're not being faithful in areas that, and we've deceived ourselves thinking we've, we're doing enough elsewhere when in reality we're not walking in faith. Help us to receive the answers that You give to us in our prayers, even when those answers may not be the way we were looking for them to come. Help us to always acknowledge Your goodness and to live fearlessly, graciously, humbly in light of the precious promise of Your unwavering provision. Lord, You are so good. You are so worthy. And we can do all things through You who strengthen us as we live faithfully in Your will, trusting in Your perfect provision who supplies all our needs according to the riches in Christ Jesus for Your glory, for our good. We thank You, Lord, for Your provision. and Set our hearts daily upon that reminder, Jesus is enough. He's enough. So come thou fount of every blessing and tune our heart to sing your grace because it is all sufficient in Jesus. I say all these things in His precious and holy name. Amen.